welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. All right, well, welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with John Eden, VP Integrated Upstream Unconventionals at TechNip FMC. John, how you doing, buddy? Good. Awesome. It's good to see you in person. The last six weeks have been nothing but, you know, Zoom calls and phone calls. The world's slowly starting to open back up. For the listeners out there, it's it's May 6th. So the Canon's opened up back this week. My office is, you know, somewhat open, I guess you could say. You're still at the house, right? Yeah. Most of our office our office folks are still at the house. The the shops are still going strong. Everybody's still going to you know, we're continuing to turn wrenches, but yeah. uh, we're trying to work as as best we can remotely. Yeah, no kidding. So it's, I mean, how does it feel to be out and about? Is it like, or is it a good, for you, is it like a breath of fresh air? Or have you been doing things like? Oh, it's, you feel like a human being today. Yeah. I mean, you had some, somewhere to go, something to do. Yeah. It wasn't on Teams. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, no kidding, man. Teams no. and Zoom are like the most popular things in the world right now. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, I haven't, re- I've followed Zoom's stock a little bit, but is that, are you a big stock guy? Have you been following what they've been doing at all? Or? No, I, no. Uh, well, I, I follow stocks, but most of them are oil and gas. I'm yeah. not doing as well. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've kind of actually probably about a year ago, you know, I have, you know, investment stuff for retirement, but then I also have some fun money that I play with on E-Trade. And, you know, for the last probably decade, it's all been oil and gas and, you know, some wins, some losses, but overall it's more of a game because it's just money that I just threw in there just for fun. And, you know, just being extremely, you know, fortunate financially to be able to do that. Not everyone can, but, you know, looking at it, oil and gas obviously didn't do well. So, you know, then I started to get looking at Disney and Apple and, some cut different clothing line stuff and they've done much better than oil and gas. They haven't quite offset the loss, but there's, <laughs> they've certainly helped with the damage. Yeah. So <laughs> no, but, I can see that. That's, that's a minefield out there right now. Yeah, it's it is a minefield. It's a good, t- I mean, depending on how you look at it, it's a good time to buy. They always say sell high, buy low. And right now a lot of things are low with the few exceptions. Amazon's crushing it right now, but yeah, they're crushing my front door too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny for like, and you still see it walking at night or whatever, driving, you see just like Amazon boxes from house to house to house to house. So, you know, I appreciate Amazon and, you know, if anyone out there works for Amazon or has anything to do with Amazon, thanks for doing what you do because you're keeping everyone, you know, the consumers spending money that they probably don't have and you're burning fuel driving from house to house. And that's what we need right now. We need the demand to go up. Yeah. Keep them flying. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So are you, I know you and I are sitting here without masks, so I'm assuming you're not quite the mask guy, hey? No, not really. No, that's all right. I feel like we're in an episode of The Black Mirror. Have you seen that? No. No? Okay. So it's, it's a series on, I think it's Netflix and it's just, it's different shows that have completely different plots, but they're all like very dark and twisted with regards to technology and like all like the worst case scenario with regards to like 
social media or like robots and stuff. They kind of make little episodes out of them. And just some of the things you wouldn't think about, I feel like we're in one of those episodes, but you haven't seen it. It's pretty much a mute point. So, you know, speaking of, you know, streaming and things like that, like during the quarantine, did you pick up any random hobbies or anything kind of unique that you and the family ended up doing? Because I feel like a lot of people did things they otherwise never would have even considered doing. Yeah, I think my, I'm a car guy. Mm -hmm. It's, so I'm doing a whole lot more work on my hot rod than I probably would have otherwise. There you go. What kind of hot rod do you have? I got a 69 Dart. Okay. For those who don't know, describe what a Dart is. It's a fairly small commuter car from the 60s that okay. people put massive engines in because they're 3,700 pounds. Yeah. So, but the kids and everybody's kind of participated in that because they don't have anything better to do yeah. at a much better level than they probably would have if they were going to school and playing with their friends. So, yeah. No, it's been kind of turned it into a family affairs. Very cool. It's pretty fun. No, good for you guys, man. It, you know, being home and being accessible to the family and just, you know, it's not at first it was it was tough because my my daughter who's four always like she felt like it was the weekend the whole time like every day was like daddy come play and then she would get mad at me but i was like like royce i'm working right now like normally i'm at the office but right now i'm having to work and yes i will play but and then i found it was challenging to like switch gears from like you know being in work mode on the computer on the call and then all of a sudden like switching to dad mode, like normally oh, I yeah. have that commute, right? So you kind yeah. of decompress, make your phone calls and you try to, when you're at home, or at least for me, try to be in dad mode, but then like bouncing back and forth, I was like, I wasn't like fully engaged with one or the other. And I found myself being in this weird kind of mindset. Like it was hard to adjust to be honest at first, but. So I have both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So in between meetings, you try and be dad cause you're there. Yeah. And then you have your eight-year-old tell you that she needs you to be quiet because she's got a Zoom meeting, <laughs> right? So right. I get both ends of it. I'm telling yeah. them to be quiet because I'm on a meeting. They're telling me to be quiet because they're on a meeting. It's it's insane. Yeah, no kidding. Actually, you know, it's funny you say that. My daughter had, she's again, only four, but she had her Zoom meetings and she does, it's like a preschool. And so, you know, her Zoom meetings are like, oh, let's do like read books and dance and and silly things like that. But it's interesting because when I was four, I mean, I think when I was five or six, I got a Nintendo and that was like the biggest you know piece of technology. I oh, couldn't yeah. imagine doing, you know, Zoom calls at, at that early of an age. And then just like that totally changes sort of the wiring on how we communicate and socialize. And so it's crazy. I don't know what the long term effects are, whether they're going to be bad or good or indifferent, but I think just different in general. It's crazy, man. And then so your eight year old. So are they doing school all online then? Or Essentially, they have. Wow. I mean, there's probably 12 different apps that they log into every day. Wow. It's I feel for my wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's got plenty to do. No kidding. So your wife stays at home then yeah. or she works? Yeah, mine yeah. as well, actually. I can imagine, man. School's so different. I'm actually starting school in July doing a master's program and the last time I tried to do an online course was algebra when I was like 18 or 19 trying to get into college and I quit and ended up having to actually do it in school just because it's online for back then it was a lot different but I'm scared to death I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure I do well but the whole online schooling thing certainly scares me so yeah, we'll, but now, we'll see what's the alternative yeah there's there's nothing there's else no right alternative. yeah 
Yeah, so it's adapt or die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just the, the way it is. That's the premise of the oil field right now. That's yeah, exactly. Adapt or die. That is, man, that is. Well, before we keep going, I just wanted to mention, I actually want to highlight some neat technology provided by our new sponsor, which is Technic mm. FMC. They're continuing to transform the energy industry with a modular single-line high-pressure hydraulic fracturing missile system. Their surface technology super frac system is an onshore field-proven technology that reduces iron connections and is easily configured to fit any frac pad design. I've got a link in the show notes. If you want to discover more about it, please click the link in the show notes and you know, certainly keep up to date on LinkedIn with all the new stuff that they got coming out. And we can certainly talk about that you know, down the line. I've got some few questions for you. But anyway, as we move on, so you moved, recently moved from Houston, right? Or moved to Houston from, where was it again? Uh, PA. PA. Pennsylvania for the last uh, about 10 years. Okay. And so where are you from originally? About 15 minutes from Philadelphia. So it's okay. kind of close enough to home. Interesting. I did an interview with a gentleman, super good dude. He runs 10X. They're a company, an oil field company out of Philadelphia. And I asked him, I said, man, what? why Philadelphia? Like, is there where you grew up? Did Were you sort of like familiar with oil and gas at all? No, or? no. I didn't have a clue about oil and gas growing up. Yeah. I joined the army, did a lot of things. Thanks for your service, man. Appreciate it. But at the time, FMC Technologies was was very motivated to hire veterans, okay. uh, and we, and they still are. I mean, our a large majority of our workforce is you know prior service people. So cool. They would target all of the military installations for everybody getting out and do mass interviews and and pick people up. So hmm. that's how I ended up getting on. I, they interviewed me at Fort Drum, New York. I was there for a couple of years, and it's been ten years and. No kidding. A couple different places, but it's good. It's fun. Yeah. It's a good company to work for. Good deal, man. So growing up in Philly or around Philadelphia, how was it growing up, man? Were you a big Eagles fan? I am a gigantic Eagles fan. Okay. So did did you watch the draft online or did you pay attention to it? No? No, I was underneath my car, but it's all right. Yeah, I'm not that that excited about this draft. (laughs) No. No. So any assuming we get back to playing this fall, I mean you know, what's your best guess on a season? 50-50, more? You think you'll make playoffs? I mean, what are you thinking? Ah, uh, they'll make the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, they'll probably go 10-6 and six like they do every yeah. freaking year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be interesting, man. Have you heard much about how they're going to play the season, whether there's going to be fans and stuff? Or do you have any idea? From what I read, they're on schedule right now for September 10th kickoff as it was. Cool. Um, I hope so, man. Yeah, we need sports in our life. Yeah, no, it's a it's a big part of who we are, and I say we now because I'm an American citizen. I got my citizenship in November, so well, congrats. For all the, yeah, thank <laughs> you. It feels good. Yeah, I've denounced my Canadian citizenships for all my fellow Canadians out there. Don't worry, I still have my Canadian roots, but decided to jump on the American train here. So, and certainly love football myself. I grew up playing football, so. I don't know if I'm a Texans fan. They they haven't really won me over quite yet, but you never know. But anyway, so tell us about, you said you're in the army, right? Yep. Tell us about your time in the army and what kind of experience that was for you. Ah, it was a great experience. It has an ability to mature you at a young age very, very quickly. Okay. Um, Would you say that's a good thing? Yeah. Yeah. uh, I think it is. I think you're more prepared coming out of the army as a 24-year-old than you are in any other way, regardless if it's college or or just getting into the workforce i think the army has an has an ability to mature you quicker than anything else i've seen sure so no i think it's great Mm -hmm. i had a good time have some lifelong relationships i spent 16 months in iraq so wow that was 
courtesy of Mr. Bush, he gave us that nice extension. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a good time. Yeah. Learned, learned a lot. Grew up. Yeah. Very cool. So why the Army? What made you get into that? I've always been fairly patriotic. I was living in Florida at the time, and it was a way to, I don't know, progress my life. Mm-hmm. Go somewhere, mean something, do something. Yeah. Um, so it worked for me. Um, right. I'd highly recommend it for most 18-year-old young men. <laughs> sure. No, I, I agree with you, man. I mean, I certainly didn't go to the Army or serve any time, but you talk about maturing at a quick age. I, when I was 18, I elected to go work drilling rigs. And so it was certainly humbling coming from a, a city boy who grew up, you know, hanging out with friends, you know, wakeboarding, water skiing, you know, growing up in the mountains, doing all that kind of fun stuff, you know, to then working on a drilling rig where most of the folks were from, you know, I grew up in British Columbia, but most of the folks are Alberta, Manitoba, so a bunch of farm boys just working their butts off, you know, and then here's this, you know, tree hugging, you know, what they thought was a bunch of pot smoking hillbillies coming out of British Columbia, <laughs> you know, going work and working drilling rigs. It was certainly an eye opener, but yeah, it was very, it was humbling and it was almost like a badge of honor. And so, you know, it's certainly, there's a lot of differences. It's, it's totally one end of the spectrum to the other. But when you talk about maturing quickly, it was that for me felt, you know, I can identify with that. So, you know, being in the army, how many years was it you said? I did just under four. Four years. What was the biggest takeaway? Like when you came out and maybe you started associating with whether it was friends or people that who hadn't gone to the army, other than the maturity aspect, what did you learn about yourself internally that really helped kind of create the fundamentals for who you are or how you were able to do well in life? Because here you are sitting across from me and I would imagine maybe roughly around the same age as myself mm-hmm. working you know, as a vice president of something that's, you know, pretty high profile. I mean, would you say there's a connection there or can you speak on that at all? I think there's a connection. The one thing that the army taught me is that you can adapt to anything Mm. and anything can be normal. When you get to Iraq the first day and you see mortars off in the distance, it scares the crap out of you. Yeah. In month 16, I don't even know if you hear them anymore. Yeah, no kidding. Anything can become normal. Hmm. Um, So regardless Uh of the situation around you, you can adapt and overcome. Yeah, that's great, man. I I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is they get comfortable and then they don't get comfortable with with change. And and I would imagine in the army, you have to be willing to adapt to change almost instantaneously. So I mean, it still takes time. Time creates normalcy, but mm-hmm. but it, it definitely taught me that anything can be normal. Yeah. yeah. Wearing masks, Zoom meetings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it could be normal. Right. Yeah. No, like just we said, adapt or die, right? Yeah. So then you lived in PA. So you got out of there and then you lived in PA until moving down here? Is that- yeah. So I was with FM, Legacy FMC Technologies. Mm-hmm. They picked me up out of New York when we were opening a facility in Williamsport. I got there a little before it opened. Gotcha. Um, it's our Muncie facility. It's still there. It's still doing well. And then we opened a Waynesburg facility, which is about 50 miles south of Pittsburgh. And I moved there in 15. And I just moved here in December. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, when I hear Technic FMC, actually FMC, the original, well, I don't know if original, but that company was one of the reasons why I got into the oil field. And by that, I mean, when I was 18, coming out of high school, my cousin was working for Streamflow, which who then then he ended up getting on with FMC, and he was in Calgary selling wellheads for FMC. And when he came to visit us the Christmas before I got out of high school, you know, I said, "Hey, Uncle John, how's work?" And oh, you know, I just got back from a trip in 
wherever it was to the Keys. And he talked about golfing and hunting and fishing and, you know, just like all these cool, you know, experiences that he got to have with, you know, quote unquote customers he had. I'm like, man, like what kind of customer, what do you do? And, you know, so he said, oh, you know, there's this thing called oil and gas and, you know, we drill wells and then you got to put this on, you know, a wellhead on top of it. And, and I said, man, you know, I, I would love to work downtown Calgary selling wellheads. I oh, said, yeah. if you can do it, I can do it. And he said, oh yeah. And, and then, so he, you know, he continued to tell me how, you know, he worked in the field for like 12 or 15 years before he even got close to coming to the office. And yeah. he wasn't educated. He was just a farm boy from Alberta, you know, worked his butt off in the field for, you know, a bunch of different wellhead companies and then ended up getting in the office. And so he said, so you want to get in the oil field? And I was like, yeah, I want to work for work with you and do the downtown thing and live the high life. That sounds great, man. I can go out and party and make money doing it. And he said, yeah, well, there's a few probably steps you need to take. And so anyway, long story short, he convinced me to go to NISCU, Alberta, which is like where all the drilling contractors are. And and I ended up getting on with precision drilling. And I said, man, Uncle John, like this is does not resemble working downtown at all. I'm like, they're telling me I have to go to a drilling rig out in the middle of nowhere. And, <laughs> you know, but it was seeing him and and after the, you know, the hard work, seeing the fruits of the labor, it was something that I looked up to. But yeah, whenever I hear FMC, all I can think about is my anytime Uncle John would come, he would bring a bunch of FMC, whether it was like golf shirts or, you know, just like oh, all yeah. this swag. swag. That, yeah. And he just would like milk me with all this swag. I was like, man, this is such a cool industry. You get all these fr- all this free stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, what's funny. I still actually have the old and it was an FMC Technologies golf. Like I call it a windbreaker. It's like a raincoat for yeah. golfing. I still have that. So, you know, a little memorabilia there, but. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. So it's, it's neat to be kind of working alongside with you guys for this. So tell me a little bit about the evolution. You've been there now for quite a while. You talk about legacy FMC and if, if you Google FMC, different logos pop up. And so can you kind of, you know, walk us through the evolution maybe since yeah. you started, how things have evolved and what, what they are now? Yeah. So I guess I'll start way before I started. Yeah. Um, so FMC Corporation, which is they just built a gigantic tower in Philadelphia, actually. Okay. So the FMC Technologies, which is oil field services, split off in 2001. And in 2001, we were essentially what legacy FMC Technologies that people know is. Okay. Surface, subsea, loading systems, measurements, flow line. So in 17, we did the merger with, with Technique. And that is, there was some tremendous benefits on the subsea side, Mm -hmm. but on the surface side, there's not a, there's not an overwhelming go to the market difference in who we are, but some of the things and the competencies that, that Technip had in, in being that world renowned engineering resource has definitely benefited us on the surface side, particularly one of the products we put out on social media a couple of weeks ago is flexibles. Coflexip is a, a legacy technique product. Mm. And we are adapting that from its subsea roots into a surface application where, cool. where we see some benefits. We've done that with a few products. We're going to release another one on social media in, the, in I think, three weeks. And it's a, a hydraulic connector that Technip has used forever. Hmm. Thousands and thousands of connections with it. It looks like a new technology to the market and surface, but I mean, they've been doing flexible since 1979 or 74. Hmm. Everything looks new and highly innovative, and it's just drawing from some fairly deep rooted competency. So it's wow. it's definitely made us better, but from a surface centric look, 
we don't look very different to the market. Yeah. No, that's actually pretty interesting. So do you find that you're able to leverage a lot of resources and, and things that are maybe from other areas and sort of cross-pollinating? Like, is that something you guys do well, or are you still trying to figure out how to navigate those waters? Because I would find that maybe challenging with the other other big companies, I, I think it is. Yeah, it can be challenging. I think that the way that we're structured now post real integration, right? Because uh, we did it in January 2017. We weren't integrated in January 2017. That takes time to integrate the cultures and integrate everything. So mm-hmm. at this point, I think it's fairly easy to pull competency from from other parts of the world or other other divisions. And we've essentially streamlined that process and an ability to to look at something not in a funnel. Mm. So it's it works fairly well at this point. Yeah, no, that's good. So, and if you don't mind me asking, and you can give me a broad range, but how old are you? 33. 33. Okay. Yeah. And I'm 34. So you've certainly done extremely well. What was your specialty? I mean, cause you had, you've held several different roles within the company. What did you really specialize in and what really drew you to just, you know, working as hard as you possibly could to continue to advance? I love Wellhead. Yeah. I mean, it's for me, when I got hired at, at FMC, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't a job. Everyone I've ever interviewed to come on to FMC, I've told them that it's a lifestyle, not a job. Mm. The way that we recruit and the way that I was recruited is very remote in nature. Okay. It's very, it plays well to military folks. Right. Right. Because you don't necessarily know where you're going when you get hired. You're going to a base. And the benefit of that is that most of your employees don't have their families around and everything. So they're immediately drawn to each other. Yeah. So your coworkers become your family and you get sucked in. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, and when you're running service, wellhead service, I mean, a hundred hours a week seems like maybe not enough. Like, what are you going to do with that much time? You get yeah. 68 hours off. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. No, that's hilarious. So what about the wellhead is it that really interests you? It's pressure control. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not, it's fun. It's not incredibly difficult, mm-hmm. but it's not easy. Right. There's always some new technology that there's never lack of innovation in our scope. So there's always something new to to play with, if you will. Right. And when you go to a company that you truly believe in, it's really easy to sell stuff. It, when you believe in something, it's you have confidence that other people can't have. Yeah. And it's it's enjoyable. Right. No kidding. So you did you start off in the field working with yep. wellheads? Yeah. Okay. So tell us about that. When when like let's say there's a young kid out there who's interested in getting oil and gas, and you know he all of a sudden is listening to this. So what is something that like sort of a day to day? Can you walk us through a day in the life of someone who maybe just is starting like you did back yep. in the day working wellhead stuff? Yeah. No. So it's very nomadic. Everything that you need or want is in your truck. Mm-hmm. We used to call them Hotel 250 because you did more sleep in there <laughs> yeah. than you did in your bed. Right. A lot of windshield time, a lot of, it's incremental work. Like if you're landing a casing hanger, you're going to go land the hanger and then you're going to wait four hours for a cement job while you're sitting in your truck. And then you're going to go pull out your landing joint and then you'll land your pack off and maybe there's a nipple up crew. Maybe there's not. You're going to break the BOP. You're going to do all your testing. It's back and forth. Mm. And then... Maybe you get a call to go to another rig on the way home. Maybe you make it home and get eight hours of sleep. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's nothing nine to five about it. It's, right. But it's a good time. I, if you enjoy it, you can be highly successful. 
and you won't want to do anything else. Right, right. So when you're sitting there on a you know on a rig waiting for these type of things, when you go out to to services, are you more supervising to make sure like you know the rig crews are putting things in place properly and like what are you doing when you're actually out of your truck? have your hands on it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, so we have our service tools that interface with our equipment. so if we're landing a nine to five H, you're going to have a running tool. You'll, the rig crew will, will bring it up to the floor. You'll make sure that it's set properly. You'll five foot in or take KB from the rig to your load shoulder. Make sure you land out because you don't want to cement a hanger high. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's some supervision aspects. There's also a pretty good amount of work Turning Acme threads 30 feet above where your where your hanger is is not all that easy with a set of chain tongs. Right. It usually takes two or three, two or three rig hands to give you a hand. Mm-hmm. Um, go down, pressure test, make sure stuff's right. We as a company are have some fairly elaborate procedures. Yeah. So some things can go wrong, but but you're there. You are the the subject matter expert on location on how that's supposed to go. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Which is empowering. Right. Especially for, you know, 22, 23 year old kid. Yeah. You're the guy. Right. Yeah. No, that's huge. I mean, that's what's connecting, you know, hydrocarbons to flow, you know, down to the pipeline where people can make money and ultimately, you know, use it for things like we're, you know, our computers are fueling the car. And so, yeah, you're connecting mother, mother nature to the, you know, somewhat to the consumer. And it's a pretty neat, uh, certainly a, a neat part of it. And you know, so how would you personally, and I have an idea, but for the listeners out there, how do you differentiate a wellhead from the Christmas tree? Can you kind of touch on that? Because I think there's a lot of confusion out there. To me, the wellhead is a drilling function equipment. Okay. And the Christmas tree is either completions in a fractory or production equipment. Right. So once your tubing is landed, your production tree or your Christmas tree is more surface control and direction, whereas your wellhead is a tool for your drilling rig to maintain pressure control and literally attach to casing right so it's very integral wellhead kind of touches everybody in the value stream right it touches drilling because they have to deal with it it touches completions because they have to deal with it sure layout orientation all that touches your facilities guys i mean it makes it through the full value stream of a an operator yeah no kidding so how would you, is there been much evolution in wellheads over the years or the, is it pretty standard or what does that look like? In the drilling system, there there was a big push to latch retention, the elimination of lockdown pins. And most of the evolution that I've seen in drilling equipment is safety related. Okay. Right. That is where the biggest leaps and bounds have come. On the completions front, on the fracturing and pressure containment section, there is massive amounts of innovation going on by a lot of companies, us included, that have transformed the way that we frack. Hmm. But the drilling section, we've made some pretty good leaps and bounds, but they're all related to safety. Right. Um, latch retention, elimination of leak pass, unitized heads. Like we run a unihead. Instead of having separate pieces of your starting head, it's, everything is one now. Right. But I don't want to say there hasn't been any innovation, but the innovation was driven by safety. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about the completion side, which sounds like that's a little bit more interesting, or at least has made some more, you know, evolvement. What are we seeing now with what is what makes it special? Maybe some of the stuff that FMC is doing on the well and on that side. For us, we're looking, we are trying to digitally enable a full pressure containment system. 
And I think that the efficiencies that you can gain when you look at a full system are significantly better than if you piecemeal five or six vendor scopes. If you purposely design things to work together, they will work better than things that you don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that is what we're looking to try to do. We now have a flexibles portfolio where we can go pump to missile, we can go well to zipper, we can accommodate a wide variety of flow rates. Hmm. And all of that stuff is there's safety aspects, but there's tremendous efficiency. No, that's awesome. It's all about efficiency. And especially right now, you know, during this, I don't know if you want to call it a downturn or a black swan event or whatever the case may be, but, you know, tell us, I mean, aside, and then it's probably part of the answer, but, but how are you guys adding value right now in a market that's depressed? Maybe the, the amount of work is, is slowing down. I mean, as a company, what kind of messages are you relaying to yourselves, to your customers, to ensure that you guys are on the front line of technology? So when this thing does pick back up, that you're there ready to capitalize on the new demand? Yeah. So the best thing that we that we have to offer is speed and speed is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the faster anything is, the less it costs the end user. Mm-hmm. So we have a wireline lubricator adapter. The transition times are almost immaterial. Okay. Uh, with wow. how fast they are. We're eliminating people from the equation. Mm. Uh, we developed a technology where we can grease our frack valves with a, an iPad. No way. So, I mean, you're eliminating people from the red zone and that's valuable. Extreme, right. Um, but it's also faster. Yeah. And the speed is where you really see the value. There's the element of removing people and that's great. And it's the right thing to do and we should do it. But if it doesn't make an end user more efficient, they're less likely to, to adopt it. Sure. So you almost have to solve two problems with every product you release. Mm. But our goal in the very near future is to have a fully automated, full pressure containment system for essentially from the fluid end on the pump truck to the tubing end flange. Wow. So That's, that would it, be impressive. Man. Yeah, it's significant. And so are you seeing like, would you see massive cost savings? environmental safety, kind of the whole package would be improved on? Yeah. So with flexibles, it kind of eliminates fatigue failures in iron. Ah, okay. So there's an element of MPT elimination. Mm. With automated things, you take the human element out of a lot. Right. And we have some great employees, but they're human. Yeah. And they make mistakes. Sure. But when you can put an interlock where you can't operate the wrong valve that a computer is reliable more than the guy that's got something going on at home and, and isn't really paying attention, right? You can't control that uh, yeah. unless you eliminate it. And that's the goal. No kidding. Do you ever see, you know, a world where what you guys are doing that it's basically all automated remote? I mean, aside from actually bringing equipment to location, is there a point at where you want to completely take the human element out of what you guys do or is that a far stretch i I think that's a a pretty far stretch i'm not saying that people don't want to do it Mm. um but i there's always going to be somebody there but it may not be the 50 people that it takes to to frack a pad today right because would you say a lot of the people that are out there are more monitoring and then you know, adjusting depending on what they're seeing, which eventually may happen here. Yeah. I mean, or I say here is in town. There's a maintenance element like pump maintenance is it's going to have to happen unless somebody makes a pump that doesn't require maintenance. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, we're coming, we're getting closer. Yeah. 
but it's all about eliminating people from from hazardous areas for sure but i think we're we're down that road pretty good and we feel good about it right so how would you and i want to talk a little bit about you know the downturn i mean we've we've faced a few two of them you know as of recently and now you've you've obviously experienced both of them were you did you experience the 2008 downturn no you just okay right afterwards so so how would you compare you know the 2014 to 16 ish to now as a company or even from a personal perspective how have you noticed there be much of a difference has there been i mean can you talk a little bit about that so i think the bottom of the last one was actually 16 but i feel like there was light at the end of the tunnel and this one is very different. Yeah. Um, I think the demand destruction that we see today is going to have much longer effects than what we saw in 16. Yeah. Where it was price related. So I personally think that this one's worse, much Mm -hmm. worse. I think 16, everybody was just kind of waiting for it to get back. Yeah. And I think this, this one, people are wondering how long that's going to take. Yeah. But yeah, demand destruction, demand has never been an issue for our industry. Right. This is a very new problem. Yeah. No, you hit it on the head there. I mean, it's right now it's a supply and demand challenge. And obviously with the whole, you know, <laughs> shutdown of the world is certainly just demolished demand. And, and I think ultimately that's what's going to help kick things back up. And you're already seeing a little bit of flattening in terms of the demand bottom, I think. And so hopefully as, you know, like today, I mean, I'm burning more fuel than I have today than, you know, I have in a long time. And yeah. so, you know, I think more and more people are going to start doing that, you know, such as yourself. But yeah, I mean, you know, and then the question comes back to like, well, are we going to see demand like we saw two years ago and three years ago? Or is it ever going to get back to that? I mean, ultimately, because a lot of what the demand is transportation, right? And so I would imagine based off the supply chain in all industries, things are going to have to keep moving. But are people going to drive less? I don't know, are companies going to force people to stay at home and work from home because they saw the value in there? I mean, I don't know if it's going to be marginal, good. If not, I mean, who knows, right? I think yeah. those are a lot of the questions that people are, especially analysts, and I'm certainly no economist, but those are, you know, sort of high level questions that I would think of. But at the end of the day, we're always going to need energy and hydrocarbons. And so, you know, hopefully in our lifetime, we continue to see that. And, and we're both, you know, here with jobs, extremely grateful to have them. And certainly, for myself, I'm happy to have some customers that are drilling. And, but you know, we're, you know, our recounts got cut in half. We're at sitting around 300, I think, in the US. And I think we'll finish out the year. If we're above 300 by the end of the year, I'll be quite surprised. And, I mean, yeah, which is I, sounds crazy. I mean, those are like Canadian numbers. <laughs> and, yeah. What's Canada right now? 16? Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's bad. Like yeah, it's. It's sad. And I mean, granted, we're, well, we're slowly coming out of breakup now, but. Yeah, but convenient time to continue a shutdown, right? <laughs> yeah. Break, breakup? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, so it's, it, yeah, it, it's interesting, but we're just going to have to, you know, keep working hard and, and do more for less and, and keep adding as much value as we can. And, and hopefully, you know, the free market will help companies continue to evolve. And unfortunately, there's going to be some that, are, you know, get dragged through the mud that won't make it out. But, you know, that's what, that's what the free market and capitalism is all about. And, uh, so maybe the bank will bail them out, but I think right now only the strongest will survive and, and the people that are continuing to evolve and, and adopt new technology and, and hopefully have some money to continue the R&D side of it, you know, will make it out ahead. Oh, so, that's uh, critical. Yeah, it is. So, you know, and I would consider you, you know, one of the leaders within your company. What kind of message are you sending to your employees or the folks that work underneath you that 
obviously are scared and I'm sure you're, you know, there's a probably a degree of uncertainty for yourself, but as a leader, you need to remain positive and provide hope and, and some sort of optimism for your team. What, what kind of message are you sending right now? I mean, in all honesty, it's a, as bad as it is, it's, it's maybe one of the largest opportunities for my team who's yeah. in new product development that they're ever going to see in their lifetime. Mm. We need to seize the opportunity that's in front of us. And the opportunity in front of us is to, I mean, people shut down, they're going to come back, they're going to validate and exercise due diligence at a different level than they did before. Yeah. And as long as we can articulate our value properly, we believe in our products and we should be able to expand share at a faster rate than our competitors. Mm. So really it's a message about empowerment and, and opportunity. Wow. No, that's exciting, man. That, that gives people something to grab onto and work for. Yeah. So no, that's great, man. Well, before we log off here, there's a few personal questions I like to end podcasts with. So don't worry, they're not too invasive, but do you have any daily habits or routines to help keep you focused and motivated? Whether it's morning routines, evening routines, you got anything kind of that you do every day? Same, same. Every day. Aside from getting out of bed. Yeah, no, I'm no, I mean I I wake up, I log on to my computer at least these days. Yeah. So um, so you look like you literally put you get to get your feet out of your bed and you go right to your computer, or do you like splash your face with water, hit the coffee pot or what? Uh, I hit the coffee pot, yeah. start I start my pot, I get my laptop open, I okay. go back, get my coffee and I sit down. Okay. I'll there tell you, you what, there I, you go. The employers are winning in this. <laughs> there's no commute but people are working yeah you know i tell I, you man i've had way more screen time over the last six weeks than i normally do oh my gosh it's insane it's yeah the employers are winning yeah <laughs> good well so you're pretty you know you're pretty standard wake up coffee work yeah yeah that's it, that's it man no that hey that's the winning formula for john <laughs> and there you go anyone wants to be like john wake up have coffee work period <laughs> That's all That's you need it. to do. That's all you got. Right? So one other question here. What's something about yourself that not many people know about you? I mean, you talked about the hot rod thing, but you got any other unique sort of hidden secrets or anything that you'd like to unleash to the podcast world that people might find interesting? Maybe some boys from you know high school know about you, but nobody else? Nah. Or any other interests? Big fan of wrestling. Wrestling? Scla- like WWF? No. Oh. No, Scholastic. Okay. So what's Scholastic Wrestling? I never heard of that. It's folk style. Okay. So high school wrestling. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But dude, that's gnarly. Did you wrestle back in the day? I did. Okay, there you go. You're a wrestler. Yeah, I did some wrestling. Nice. Did you like all through high school or did you start yeah. pretty young or what? Yeah, I started pretty young. I went all through high school. I actually earlier in high school know a kid that ended up winning a gold medal. No way. Yeah, so you wrestled against him? No, he was like my little cousin wrestled against him a lot. We were different weight classes, but Okay. Uh, I kind of grew up watching him wrestle and get better, and yeah, he won an Olympic gold medal. So. No way. Yeah. Who's that? Jo- Jordan Burroughs. Okay. Now you can go to Dick's Sporting Goods and buy shoes with his name on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's so cool, man. Oh. Wow. So wrestling. That's I never wrestled, but the people that I know that wrestled have a crazy engine man like they can go and go and go you guys are conditioned on another level man yeah i gotta say no i mean cross country coach or yell at a wrestling coach telling him he's running his team too hard <laughs> i know yeah. hey that's hilarious you guys are tough as nails though man i've i've worked out and just messed around with some folks and when i was in denver i lived in denver for a while and one of my really good buddies was a wrestler and he would invite me to work out and that sucker could just go for days man i was like golly and 
It's yeah, it's neat, man. Well, do you ever get back on the mat or is that just, you know, back in the glory days? Wow, I got a three-year-old that's probably going to start soon. So nice. I've been off the mat for quite a while, but I'll probably have to get back on. Yeah. yeah. So and well, Pop still's got it, huh? Oh, yeah. Got to. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I always told I tell my wife, I'm like, my son will never beat me, no matter how big and strong he is. I will yeah. always whoop his ass. You got to cheat. Yeah. <laughs> you got to cheat. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, look, I just want to take a few moments before we end here to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Awesome. Thanks. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. We're waiting actually for Memorial City Mall to open back up, but hopefully when this gets released, it'll be open and ready and we'll be back on the ice. And if you're looking to get in shape for over the summertime, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. John, it's been a pleasure today, man. Thanks for coming out and uh, burying the elements with me here during the Corona economy, as they say. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or to get to know more about the company and what you guys are offering right now? So if if anybody can get on LinkedIn or Mm -hmm. anything like that, all of our info pages and all of our product reveals, if you will, Mm -hmm. there's a email address at the bottom of every one of them. You can email that email address and they'll put you in touch with the right people. Perfect. Uh, including me to get you any type of information you want. Excellent. Um, okay. Well, we'll put the link in the show notes for TechNip FMC's LinkedIn page along with yours, if you don't yeah. mind. And then obviously, you know, websites standard. So we'll put yeah. the link in the show notes for your guys's website. Is there anything else that you want to relay to the world and you know about what you're doing or anything like that? Or are you good to go? Good to go, man. Just awesome. everybody stay safe. Yeah. Perfect. Well, everyone I certainly appreciate all the support especially during quarantine here. And uh, I've had a lot of people reach out and I just want to say thank you for all everyone listening out there. Please subscribe and do me a huge favor and leave a review that always helps drive up, you know, the, the ratings. So thanks again. And everyone always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.